Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. Begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're kind of continuing our walk through uh, the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And today we're going to look at that book in its entirety of 2nd John. And what we want to focus on is, and I think this is kind of fascinating because very seldom do, do I get to preach on an entire book, almost never. Um, and very seldom do we get to kind of hear, do you get to hear opening greetings, the, the, the meat of the text, and then the closing greetings. And so today, that's what we get. We get to hear this very short, but remarkably poignant and direct letter that the Apostle John wrote to Christians 2,000 years ago. And so that's what we want to look at. Our theme today is going to be face-to-face. And so what I'm grabbing is actually the very last couple verses of that text where John, um, it's his closing greetings to those Christians where he says, I I long to be with you face-to-face. I don't know, maybe you have felt like that a little bit over this past year during the pandemic. Um, the, The desire to be with people face-to-face. Uh, it, it's been an incredible year, one that I think is, is, we, none of us have maybe gone through at any other point in our life, but we've, we've intimately felt what it feels like to not be able to be face-to-face, right? With people that we love, with people that we work with, um, with our neighbors, with our community, even with our kids and our loved, like we, this last year, if there was ever a time in our lives, my guess is this was a, a giant kind of social experiment on what it felt like not to be face-to-face. And so we've got a little bit of perspective on it now, now that we've come out of this. And I read an interesting article by a man named Adam Grant. Um, Some of you maybe know of his name. Uh, He's a sociologist, so his job is to kind of study these effects on us collectively as a society. So um, you have a, a, a nationwide, a worldwide pandemic. Everything gets shut down. Adam Grant studied that. What happened to us? How did we act? How did we react? What were the implications of something that was was so out of the ordinary? And so um, this last week, I read an article that he wrote in the New York Times. It was just absolutely fascinating. Adam says this at the very end of that, that, um, that article. He says, you can feel depressed and anxious alone, but it's rare to laugh alone or love alone. Joy shared is joy sustained. Let me read it one more time. It says, you can feel depressed and anxious alone. In fact, maybe most of the time we are more depressed and anxious when we are alone, right? It says, you can feel depressed and anxious alone, but it's rare to laugh alone or to love alone. Joy shared is joy sustained. Would you agree with that? I think, I think on some level you do. So, if you're anything like me, and this is probably insight into what I did when the pandemic hit, um, when, when all of those face-to-face interactions were shut down, the number of subscriptions that I had to streaming services 
exponentially went up. Okay. And I'm still waiting for them to go back down. I somehow I, we have five, six different streams. So I, I think when those face-to-face -face connections got shut down, at least many of us kind of started streaming stuff, right? So you watch Netflix, you watch Disney Plus, you watch HBO, um, you watch shows, and on some level, uh, and, and we, we want to be entertained, right? And so you watch these movies, you watch these shows because you want to get something from it. You want to laugh, you want to feel love. Right? You want to be challenged. Maybe you want to be scared if you like horror movies. Like, so we watch. We are entertained by screens for a reason. It, it elicits a degree of emotion, doesn't it? And the best shows <laughs> elicit the best emotions. And so that's why we get wrapped up into them. And maybe you had like an eight-hour binge where you watched an entire season, season of something. Right? But that's what shows are meant to do. They, purpose, they are purposeful in trying to elicit emotion from you and I. And so when the pandemic hit, I think many of us kind of flocked to that. But here's the question I have for you. Have you ever laughed so hard at a show? Have you laughed as hard at a show as you have maybe going to see a comedian live? Have you, have you felt the impact, emotional impact of a musician or music on TV as much as when you have actually gone to Red Rocks and stood with 3,000 other people hearing a live musician in front of you? Have you ever, um, um, you, you can witness love in a love story. If you like rom-coms, you can laugh a little bit about it. But does that hold a candle to actually being loved by someone? You can see where I'm going with this. I don't think it does. There was a joke that came out kind of after the pandemic um, uh, about extroverts and introverts. And actually, I'm an, I'm an introvert that is forced to work in an extrovert type of job. So... I have to stand up in front of all of you. I'm happy to do that. Um, but there, that was a joke about introverts that they said once the pandemic hit and face-to-face -face things were shut down, they said introverts have been practicing for this their entire lives, <laughs> right? And, and that, they, were, they, were, they were like, yes, this is exactly what we want. But here, here's the really fascinating thing. So sociologists and psychologists have now had a chance to kind of study the impact of that pandemic. And did you know that research, researchers have found that during the pandemic, introverts expressed greater feelings of depression, anxiety, and loneliness than extroverts did. Is that kind of interesting? Right? So some of you are introverts and you're like, but did you, so what that's telling us is that lack of face-to-face -face communication, those relationships being shut down, it affects whether you're an introvert or you're an extrovert. In fact, it affects all of us. So there's some fascinating things that Adam Grant came up with in that, or in that article, um, some studies that they did. He, he talked specifically about something that is called collective effervescence, okay, which is just a fascinating term, I think. So collective effervescence. Um, it was actually to uh, coined by a sociologist in 1912 named Emil Durkheim. So now imagine 1912 and the things that were immediately in the future of the people in 1912. So some of you are historians. You're thinking 1912, what's coming soon, right? World War One is coming very soon. On the heels of World War One, do you know what pandemic they had? Spanish flu, right? So, so Emil Durkheim um, looked into this, this idea of, of, of um, kind of communal effervescence 
And it was actually on the, on the precipice of some really tough things. But do you know what came after the Spanish flu and World War I? They called it the Roaring, roaring Twenties, right? Did you know that was the birth of jazz, right? And you think back to some movies, if you've seen that, that were set in that time and the joy and the exuberance that came out of the Roaring Twenties, right? And that's really where he kind of codified that idea. And his whole theory was, and I think it holds true just in an intuitive sense, we laugh more, we love more, we feel more deeply, we enjoy one another's company more when we're together. Isn't that true? We understand that, don't we? I think the pandemic has driven that home for us. Um, being together, there is something that cannot be recreated on your television screens at home to what we do here. And now today on a hot, sunny day, you're thinking, yeah, I can't recreate sweating, Pastor. I can't recreate um, maybe a, a child crying a little bit. I can't recreate uh, some of these things. That's true. But here's my encouragement to you. You are better off for it. Even those things, being together with other believers face to face. There, there is a collective effervescence that comes about when we gather together face to face. The early Christians knew it. The Apostle John knew it. That's why he finished his book of 2 John out in that way. And I think we would be good to understand that as well. So let's jump into our text. Um, John's really going to talk about three or four things that, that um, come from that face-to-face -face connection, not only with our God above, but with one another. So I just want to look at four different points. Um, John is going to talk about the importance of truth as we get together as a Christian congregation, right? It's the importance of truth. Um, the importance of love in action. So if you've heard that theme before from John, it's because it comes up over and over again, right? So, uh, so the importance of love in action. He's got a little section just on warning uh, about um, false teachers, which was happening in the early Christian church. And then uh, he concludes with joy, right? Ultimately, joy. So, so let's jump into it. You're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Uh, I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 4. Uh, and yeah, you can find that in your bulletin as well there. So John says this, the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. And not, not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and from Jesus Christ, the father's son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. So now let's set the scene just a little bit for what's happening historically here with the Apostle John. Um, he begins this out by saying the elder. So he's giving kind of some introductory words. So John says the elder. Who is he talking about there? He's talking about himself, actually. And maybe even a better translation is he's calling himself the old man. So he's saying, this is from the old man. Now, it, that's not a, a slight at all for John. Because remember, historically, when John is writing these books and exactly what had happened in John's life, right? Most of his fellow disciples, his fellow Christians had been martyred for their faith. He had seen hundreds, if not thousands of people die for their faith as Christians. John is the last living disciple 
History tells us that he dies of old age in exile on the island of Patmos. And if you remember from one of our earlier sermons, um, tradition tells us that, that the old man named John, they, he, he could no longer see at the end of his life. And so people wanted to hear his message. They said, you're the last living apostle. We've got to hear what you want to speak to us about. We want to hear truth. We want to hear you tell us about Jesus because John had seen him. He had seen his death. He had seen his resurrection. And so John was blind by this point. And tradition tells us that they would go get John. And each morning they would walk him down and they'd place him on a certain rock in the public uh, uh, kind of public square. And John, this blind old man, would just sit and couldn't see anybody that was in front of him, but would just sit and talk about Jesus all day long. And what were his subjects? Well, I think his books give us insight into that. Love and action, right? And in this letter, he focuses on truth. I think we can understand that on some level, can't we? The importance of truth. So John says, the old man, and then he directs it, says, to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Now, theologians will kind of take this in a couple different ways. Um, Maybe the simplest one is that John actually knows a lady in a congregation, and he's thinking of a specific lady and her kids and her family. And so he's writing this letter to her, and that certainly is possible. John could be doing that. Um, Other letters were written to specific individuals, uh, Timothy and Philemon. And at the beginning of his letter, he will say, It is being written to these individuals. So that could be the case in this one, that he knows a specific lady um, and her children. But most theologians in the last couple thousand years um, assume that John is using this a little more as a a literary device and, and is more likely speaking to a congregation or even a group of congregations. And now, before you think that sounds strange, because he says to a lady, remember throughout scripture how God and other apostles oftentimes reference the church on earth. It's interesting because it's almost always in feminine terms. Did you know that? The bride of Christ is the church on earth. So, so this is not unique just to John having referenced like that. Um, and I think that's maybe the best way for us to take this letter from John, that he is writing it, um, maybe not to a specific lady, although maybe that and her family were an inspiration for it, but ideally to this congregation or congregations that were young and had people that were young in their faith. And so John starts out this letter hammering home that point of the importance of truth. Now, why would he do that? Why would truth be the thing that he says at least four or five times in the opening three or four verses of this text? I think we can understand why. Let me put it this way. I think after we've lived a little bit of life, we understand how important that concept of truth is. Let me put it this way. I think the older we are and the longer we've lived, I'm convinced the more important that concept of truth is to us. And I'm not saying that it's not when we're younger. Um, I'm not saying it's not when when, when you're a teenager or you're in your 20s, but you've, you've in large part got the entire rest of your life ahead of you, at least presumably. And so you've got time in your mind to figure things out. But as we age, as we get older, as gray hair starts to adorn our temples and we see uh, how quickly life passes by, you start to hold on to the things that you know will last after you're gone. 
And I'm convinced that's what John is doing here. Those of you that have kids or grandkids, that's an important concept, isn't it? When I had little kids, uh, there were important things for me to try to figure out. Like I needed to have them changed. I needed to make sure there was like food in them because I thought that was pretty good for sustaining life. And I just had to keep them safe. So when your kids are little, you do all those things. But when your kids become teenagers or young adults, you don't worry about those things quite so much, do you? I can't remember the last time that I worried about my teenagers like not eating food. I come down in the morning and the kitchen is strewn with leftovers of food that was eaten after midnight. So see, I don't worry about those things anymore, even though we would say those are life-sustaining things. But as you age, as you get older, you realize that there are some things that are more important. And so then you start to worry about your teens and your young adults and maybe your grandkids. And you start to ask yourself, what is going to remain after I'm gone? Because I'm pretty sure they're going to continue eating. (laughs) And the things of life are going to continue on. But what are the truths that are going to remain after I leave this earth? I think that's what John's getting at and why he starts with that. The truths of Christ of his death and his resurrection, John comes to this young congregation or this family and says, these truths you cannot lose. These truths you must hold on to because life is short and the days disappear rapidly. And it is that truth about Christ that is going to sustain you into the next world and ultimately your kids and your grandkids. That's what we get when we come here on a Sunday morning. You get heat, right? You get some of these other things, but you get the truth of God's word. It's what John wanted for his listeners 2,000 years ago. It's what God wants for you still here today. That's why we get together is to hear the truth of God's word. So that's the first thing. Then John goes to a a topic that's pretty common for him, um, especially as we're going through this sermon series. So I'm going to read for you verse 5 and 6 says this, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So now this is fascinating. Um, you remember that John speaks more in uh, an Eastern thought type of way rather than a Western thought type of way. And what that simply means is Eastern thought is circular. And for us as Americans who are very much Western, John's writings can feel a little bit redundant. Because have I talked about love in action with John before? Yeah, you're like, yeah, I think you talked about it every single sermon pastor, right? I probably did. You want to know why? Because John did, right? And so, but, but that's the point. So he comes back around over and over and over again to these singular points. And why would he do something? Why would he we are tempted to think that's incredibly redundant. Like he talked about love and action. Let's move on. He talked about um, love and and not just with words, but transparent, right? And and actually doing it. Let's, Let's get past that. But should we? As Christians? I'd argue we shouldn't. I pray that the message of love and action that you hear on the pages of scripture never becomes redundant in your life or in your living. 
I think on some level, maybe that's why John writes it over and over and over again. Because remember, he's at the end. He says, truth is important. The reality of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then he goes back to that concept of love. And not just, not just love in words. Not to say, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. And then go home and treat people remarkably bad. Right? Not just love your community, but then go home and do everything you can to kind of undermine and undercut. Not just love your family but then go home and hold on to grudges and refuse to call them and refuse to offer forgiveness or to grant forgiveness, right? So John would say none of that holds up, not in the life of a Christian, not in, in view of the love that we have in Christ. And so John comes back to it over and over and over again. And I think that's why it's so important. We are here face to face to hear it over and over and over again. That what God wants for us is to put love in action. You want to know where that's done best? It's done best here. And it's done best face to face with the people that you interact with in your life. You can love from afar. We ask the kids that. You can love from afar. Some of you have kids that are in college and they're going to go out back off to college. Um, some of you have grandkids that are in different states. Um, we are an incredibly mobile society. You can love from afar. And I love seeing pictures on Facebook. And I love maybe uh, uh, doing Zoom with my grandparents or, or with my parents. And my kids will do that. But none of it compares to being right here, right now with your loved ones. I do not think that it's going too far to say love is put in action best when you're actually with the people you love. And that happens on a Sunday morning. And I think that's why John encourages us in that fact. But I think there's another reason for it. And maybe we'd say this is the, the dark underbelly of that love in action or the dark underside of John's encouragement to love and action. Because do you know what seemed to not have been happening within those Christian congregations, those, that very first generation? There seemed to have been lots of times when they were not doing what John was telling them to do. So John says love and action. Not just words, but put it in action. But why would he say it so often? Because he clearly saw that within the Christians of that time, within those congregations, there were times when they were not doing that. And I think we can empathize. Right? I think we can empathize. Because we're not always so awesome to one another. We don't always react in kind ways. We don't always have an extra measure of patience and love for people that don't look like us, talk like us, and we only see maybe once a week on a Sunday morning. Because we are no different than those Christian congregations back there that, that there is incredible temptation for us to be selfish, to pull back, to guard our hearts, to guard our emotions, and to hold on to our love rather than pouring it out on the people that God has placed us with. I think we know that because we've done it, each and every one of us. But that's also the encouragement I think that John gives us and why he returns us redundantly back to Christ and his love. Because we come here on a Sunday morning and, our, and we are reminded that our sins are forgiven. We come here on a Sunday morning and we are reminded and we are reassured that Jesus Christ has died for you. Your sins are forgiven. That his love was not just in word, but it was also in action with his outstretched arms and his sacrifice for you on the cross. 
that love in action then motivates our love, right? And that's what John wants for us as a congregation and as individuals. Then he goes and he has one kind of little aside. Um, John has a little bit of a warning then to those that were there. So verse 9, he says this, Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So now remember a little bit historically what was happening in that early Christian church. John was this last apostle. He was possibly blind. He was, he was talking and, and preaching the truths of Jesus and the love in action. But the reality of what was swirling around in Christianity and around him was there were false teachers that had already infiltrated many of those early Christian churches. They have a term for that. They call them the Gnostics. And their false teaching was Jesus Christ is a great start, but he's not enough. He's okay, but he's not enough. You need to look for more. You need to ask for more. You need to strive for more. And if you get more, then you are somehow at a little higher level than those that just kind of know Jesus. And so what was happening within that Christian, what the danger was happening within that Christian church was that there would be this stratification of faith amongst the Christians. So those that really got Jesus and showed up for church every Sunday and went to every last Bible class, and even did set up there in this class up here. And then there's others that are kind of below. That was the danger that this heresy was bringing in. And yet, um, the, the reality of Christ is that it blows all of that to pieces because it makes no difference. Right? Uh, because um, um, all of us are sinful in the sight of our God above, and every single one of us is complete and whole and forgiven in Jesus Christ. And so these Gnostics were coming in and it was in danger of stratifying the Christian church. And John comes back along and says, Jesus is enough. He always was. He always will be. Jesus is complete and he's final. And so he gives a warning because there were, uh, it's kind of called them itinerant preachers or traveling preachers. Sometimes circuit riders is what in America, sometimes that's what it was. Um, and so teachers would come along and, and they would be guest pastors, right? That, that would teach God's word. And John gives a warning. He says, if they come to you and their message isn't about Christ, send them on their way. It's <laughs> essentially what he says. He says, don't even let them sleep at your house. If they're teaching false doctrine, if they're um, confusing the, the, the message of Christ, if they are placing themselves in the place of Christ, which is the definition of being an anti-Christ, what does John say? He says, send them on their way. Because Jesus and the truth of Christ is enough. It always has been and it always will be. Okay? And then he concludes with this. John says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings. It's kind of a fascinating little coda at the end of this, isn't it? He says, I want to see you face to face so that our joy may be complete. I think that's just an ancient version of saying Zoom and phone calls are not enough. Honestly. What was their version of Zoom and text messaging? John wrote a letter. And the letter got sent out and it got transmitted from church to church. But what does John say is the best? B 
being with one another, being face to face. And he says, when we are able to do that, our joy is made complete. I think we get that on some level, even you introverts, right? We understand that we love more deeply, we laugh harder, we cry more, we are more supportive when we're face to face, right? When we see the commonality of the struggles and the joys that each of us have. That all of you come from different backgrounds, different places, um, um, different economic strata, different ethnicities. But when we come here, there's a commonality that we find in Christ and his love and his forgiveness. Then Christianity, that's how our joy is made complete. When we're together face to face. Today's a little bit of a bittersweet Sunday. Um, I don't know if you've felt this um, in some of your industries. I think you probably have. I, I think what the pandemic did, it forced us online, which meant we we're a lot more mobile. But I feel a pandemic churn happening. So um, have, have some of you changed jobs? Thought about changing jobs? Sold a house? In your industries, have you seen a churn happening? I... I think it has. I think when we've come out of this pandemic, I think things are, I think people are moving. We're a mobile society and things are moving. CVL is not immune to that. You know, we have five families that are moving. Yeah. We're not a monster church, are we? We have five families that are moving. Uh, two of them just moved to different places kind of locally. Uh, but we've got three families that are actually here today, maybe for the very last time that are moving out of state. Two of them are going to a state called Nebraska. Actually, did I get that right? Nebraska, where's Paul and? Iowa, oh, I got it wrong, okay. Moving to a place called Iowa, Nebraska, and then a sweaty place called Florida, okay? Wonderful families that have been a part of our congregation for years, right? That we have laughed, loved, and cried with face to face. And so here's my encouragement to us, right? Um, a blessing to these, congrega- these, these families as they go and be a blessing to where they've go- they're going. But for us that are here, here's my encouragement. Let's put love in action as we have opportunity to do so. Don't wait for tomorrow or the next day or the next year. Let's do it now. And three points I want us to leave with. First is show up. I know it's hot. I know our building isn't quite done. Someday we'll get there. But show up. Come, right? Some days the pastor's sermon is not that awesome. It's all right. Please still come. Sometimes the music is not awesome. They do, they work really hard, still come, right? Sometimes we have great treats. Sometimes we don't, still come, right? The most important thing about your relationships is that you show up, that you're present, that you're willing to put yourself face to face with other people, okay? So that's the first one. Second one is then let's put love in action. Let's not wait around for tomorrow to love someone. Let's not assume somebody else is loving them and being compassionate to them. If you see it, you do it. You put an arm around someone. 
you laugh, you listen to their stories. They'll do the same for you. Put love in action here now, each and every time that you show up. Don't wait for tomorrow because we are never assured of that day. Pour into people now. And the last one, yeah, simply don't wait. People move. Uh, life changes. So do it now, right? And you may be thinking of someone in your life, a loved one, family member, maybe even a church member. Don't wait any longer to put love into action. You know what it looks like? It's Jesus. Put it into action in your life. Let's pour ourselves into the people that we have here in your lives each and every day. Let's show the love of Christ. Let's be reminded of the truth of who he is. By doing so, our joy is made complete. Amen.